relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. Going deeper on the big issues that matter to you. This is your exclusive podcast, America First, one-on-one, with me, Sebastian Gorka, former strategist to President Donald J. Trump. Welcome, dear friends. It's America First, but it's one-on-one, our opportunity to sit down and get to know our regular guests that little bit better and drive deep, drive down on the key issues of the day. And today, it's a fabulous, fabulous guest we have with us, strong supporter, regular guest of America First, who's in studio again. He's left the free state of Texas to be with us. He is senior fellow with the National Center for Public Policy Research, also with Project 21. Horace Cooper, welcome back to America First. Well, thanks so much for having me back on. So we, I, you know, every time we, we talk to you, uh, I could do it for hours. You are a clear thinker. You are a candid individual. However, we've been growing exponentially. We've got more than 3 million listeners, video platforms, you name it. So for those people who've just lucked upon this channel, just been sent this link to this interview, let's start at the beginning. Who is Horace Cooper? Where did he come from to be where he is today? Well, I don't know if that's a simple question, but I would say that I was born in Texas. I am uh, my mother and, more importantly, my grandmother's grandson. Uh, Virgie Johnson um, was a, an amazing influence on my life. And, I, you know, my mother and father had a little something to do uh, with everything. But she because my brother and I got to spend summers with her, helped to instill in me a sense of independence, a sense of the importance of how we as uh, individuals are stewards of our lives, uh, how we're responsible for what happens in our circumstances. And um, she had nine children. She was able to get seven of those children to graduate from college, Three of those children, including my mother, get PhDs, and it helped really encourage the importance of education in our family and with me in particular. And I went off to the University of Texas, learned everything there was to learn about left-wing crazy nonsense, (laughs) um, and I recommend it for your children if uh, you want to really see if they're grounded Send them to a place like that. If you haven't really done your work, I probably wouldn't send them to a place like that. And uh, afterwards, I went to the one law school that I was interested in attending, uh, the George Mason School of Law. It's now called the Antonin Scalia Law School. And I uh, got a chance to then work on Capitol Hill and in the administration of George W. Bush. Uh, I have had a tremendous number of opportunities to travel, see the world, uh, read, and really, really learn 
uh, how this great country was made just for people like myself. And it has been such a remarkable experience. And I would say even people who were only briefly in this country look around and what you'll see is that America is the best possible lesson about how freedom, about how liberty, about how self-government can work. Uh, Horace, sadly, with uh, many of our, uh, our black friends on America First, we hear this refrain again and again and again that it was my grandma, it was my grandpa, in your case it was Grandma Virgie. Uh, what, why is that? What, why is it that, that we see such a proclivity or a trend that, that a generation is skipped and, and the black youth in America seem to be in many cases brought out by their grandparents? Well, I would say this. Um, in my case, my parents married at an early age and even having done so, my grandmother said, you still have to do your part. You still have to do the responsible things. And that included, for my father, he was one of the few Americans who voluntarily signed up uh, for um, the Army during Vietnam. And he shipped out. And when he returned, I learned a lot about the importance of devotion to one's country, about sacrifice, and the like. With, with regard to my mother, she started school. First undergraduate, then a master's, and then a PhD. If you've got a family that you're also being a part of, you can't necessarily say we're going to be done in about five, six, eight years. It took a while, but my mother was determined and she was able to get it done. And with my grandmother being willing to say, I'll take up some of the slack. You can drop the kids off with me. Sometimes we stayed during the summers for a few weeks at a time. My grandmother taught me the value of the early morning wake up. Now, <laughs> a lot of times, especially when I worked uh, at the Department of Labor, I was a chief of staff as a political appointee. Um, there were about uh, 4,100 people there. Um, it served me quite well to want to wake up casually and relaxed at 5.30 or 5.45 in the morning, <laughs> especially when it came time to do employee reviews. So this, was, this is thanks to Grandma Johnson, correct? That's absolutely. And it was unbelievable. You know, I missed out. When I was in college, on some of the late-night parties, I tried one overnighter to prepare for an exam. And it didn't work out well for me. And I realized Grandma was right. You do everything you need to do during the wake-up hours, and then you'll be prepared. There's no reason to try to uh, 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 rush into something and stay up as late as you can. And it has served me um, unbelievably well. 
The early rises, the early bird catches the worm. We're talking to Horace Cooper, Project 21 News on Twitter for him and his colleagues. That's at Project 21 News, Senior Fellow with the National Center for Public Policy Research. Uh, Horace, I, I want to get this out of the way. Um, it's an important question, and then I'm going to stop the identity politics that the left so loves. Uh, where are race relations in America today? Could you give us the thumbnail sketch, let's say, of the last 12 years? What happened? Uh, what state was it in at the beginning of uh, Barack Obama's uh, two terms? What happened under President Trump? And where are we now, uh, given Black Lives Matter, George Floyd? Can, can you tell us, can you give us the trend line for the last 12 years, Horace? So let me, let me answer a question first that you didn't ask me. What should race relations yes, be please. like? They should be on an exceptional level of accomplishment. Americans should be able to turn to the entire planet and say, look at us and look at all of the achievements that we've done, how we as people are in harmony. We are as happy, we are as thrilled, we are as prosperous, and it doesn't matter because of race. Now, why isn't that true? Well, the left tells us that that's because of bigotry and racism. Well, the problem with that is they don't tell us who the bigots are or who the racists are. Oh, they'll tell you, look around and see a white male, and that'll be a good example of how to find someone who's a racist and a bigot. But the truth of the matter is, most of the academia is made up of bigots and racists. Almost all of the elite media is made up of bigots and racists. Our leaders, our so-called leaders in Washington, are made up of bigots and racists. We have a full-time effort being undertaken to divide us, to separate us, it is remarkably similar to what my grandfather would have seen in the 1940s and 50s. There was an orchestrated effort being undertaken by the leaders in the community to make sure that everybody knows how important it is that we're separated, that we're not equal, and that we can't do anything about it, and this is just your lot in life. Remarkably, that's what college professors say. Remarkably, even the President of the United States, Joe Biden, continually says it. When he's not ruining our country internationally, he spends quite a bit of time dividing us along racial lines. All right, so let's let's stop here for a second. We'll get to your answers for the other questions momentarily, but but I have to interject because I look, I agree with you. I think the bigots are there in the academe, in the media, in politics, but here's my question. Horace Cooper, what is the end goal of these individuals? Is it to keep us divided? to exploit that racial tension? Have you, defi have you found what the strategic objective is of these bigots? Oh, of course. Look, today's progressives are going to have to apologize 
to yesterday's segregationists of the early 20th century. It turns out yesterday's segregationists weren't actually committed to separation. They didn't actually believe in, quote, the inherent inequality among the races. They realized that it advanced them. It enhanced their personal agendas, their political power, and their ability to accomplish the goals that they have. Yes, we crushed the economy throughout the South by not allowing every talented person to be able to participate. Yes, we prevented people who just because they were human to be able to express uh, their aspirations. But that is the same goal today. They are actually not seeking an end result. You know, there's been this long debate uh, over the difference between equality and equity and how equality talks about opportunity and equity talks about outcome. That metric is just a tool primarily for the purpose of allowing those that seek to enrich themselves, to empower themselves, to operate. A government that can guarantee that when you go into a restaurant, exactly 16% of everybody in that restaurant is, uh, is black. That exactly 16% of the wait staff are black, regardless of whose day off it might be. Exactly 16% of all of the people behind the scenes cooking are black. And that 16% of all of the sourcing of all of the food and all of the other materials is black is a government that is so powerful, so invasive, and so in control that there is little room left for anything else to occur. It is that which is the goal, that power, not the end outcome. So this is, this is very, very helpful. So let, let me try and put it into my own words. The, the actual strategic objective is simply maintenance of power. So the... the um, I wouldn't inc- say maintenance. I would say obtaining. obtaining. There's power, but there requires a substantial more power. We're having a discussion about whether the federal government can tell us whether we can wear a mask or not. When you understand just the simple example of going to the restaurant and we are going to insist that this specific outcome, every stage, the number of people, well, who's checking to see who enters? How do you know that it's the blue light special, that some people want to show up early in the day, some people want to show up in the afternoon? How do you guarantee those kinds of results? How do you guarantee the workforce, as I said, The sourcing, all of that requires a level of power and influence that only Stalin would really be familiar with. (laughs) Yes, yeah. Um, The the level of control we're witnessing here in America is something that uh, 
the Soviet uh, nations uh, would be envious of. We're talking to Horace Cooper. Follow him at uh, him and his colleagues at Project 21 News on Twitter. Uh, if you want to support another great patriot, please, as a favor to me, they're trying to destroy him. The left wants to have him disbarred. They want to bankrupt him. Please, please support America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani. He's still investigating what happened uh, in November. He has to get to the bottom of it. Please make a donation to Rudy Giuliani, freedomfund.com. He saved New York. Let's support him today. That's Rudy Giuliani freedomfund.com. Horace, um, let, let me just you know, get it out there. Um, you've, you've analyzed who the bigots are today. Uh, in that case, when I say is there systematic racism against blacks, against minorities, against Hispanics, your answer would be? There is systematic racism and bigotry against the individual in America, and it is a coordinated effort. I really want people to think about this. In the 1920s, the 30s, 40s, the so-called Jim Crow era, it required the government to regulate every restaurant. It required the government to regulate every swimming pool, every park, every single business. My My grandfather tried to operate a dry cleaning service. He only succeeded by scheming to get the property in someone else's name. Unfortunately, in Polk County, government wasn't big enough to be monitoring to make sure that the people that they've approved could get the property and only those people and not the people that they haven't. But in many other counties, they were powerful enough to do exactly that. There is nothing, no truth to the argument that America systematically works to violate the aspirations and hopes and dreams of black people. It, there's no truth that, that that is happening to brown people. What is true is that there is an organized effort to transform America away from a country based on the principle of liberty and individualism to a country that has ceded all decision-making, all authority to the betters, those who will solve your problems for you. Well, that was the Soviet idea. Yes. That was the Cuban idea. That's the Venezuelan idea. That's the North Korean idea. But at the end of the day, here's what we see. Misery wholesale misery, and a few people achieve. Even the academy wasn't exempt from the slaughter. Even the elite media wasn't exempt from the slaughter. Even the people who made up the leadership of the revolution weren't exempt from the slaughter. The truth of the matter is a lot of people are pushing America in this radical direction and they don't even realize that if they succeed, not even they are going to be protected from the consequences. 
We're talking to Horace Cooper, Senior Fellow at National Center for Public Policy Research. Follow him and his colleagues at uh, Project 21 News. If you're enjoying this, especially our one-on-one long-form interviews on America First, don't forget to subscribe. It's free to our video channel on Rumble. It is the First Amendment alternative to the fascistic, censorious, Google-controlled YouTube. Go to rumble.com slash sebgorka. That's rumble.com slash S-E-B-G-O-R-K. And on all other platforms, for the time being at least, Twitter, Facebook, uh, what else do we have? Getter and Instagram. Follow us there and also subscribe to our video and podcast feeds wherever you get your podcasts. Horace, uh, you mentioned uh, restaurants. You mentioned government control. You talked about... Uh, the unbelievable amount of control that Americans have given the state in just the last year and a half. Talk to us about how this affects minority communities. Uh, We have uh, government officials, we have the White House, we have governors calling the unvaccinated stupid and threatening their fellow Americans disproportionately. I'm unvaccinated, I will never be vaccinated. I had COVID, I defeated it, I'm not afraid. But... uh, uh, Proportionally, it is my black fellow Americans who are leery or just simply don't see a need to be vaccinated. How does how does racial relations, how does the state of of race relations, um, how is it affected by the last year and a half and the role of the government, vaccines, masks and everything else? So let me say this. When I was 12 years old, my youth pastor uh, shared an idea with me. He said, for God so loved the world, he didn't send a government agency. (laughs) And that has stuck with me. (coughs) That's good. Since the 1960s, government agencies have aggressively interfaced with black America. And they have promised black America that we can fix every single problem. Over a trillion dollars later, we now see things in black America that never existed before government came and knocked on the door. Such as? One of those is the uh, prison rate for black men. You can look at the records of the 1920s, the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Black American men were the least likely to be in federal prison than any other racial category. Employment. Black men were the most likely to be employed in America throughout the Roaring Twenties and even in the middle of the Great Depression and afterwards up through the 1950s. Illegitimacy. Black children in the 20s, 30s, and 40s were more likely to be born in two-parent households than the population at large. We are told a big lie today. We're told if you want to look at some of the problems and challenges that face black America, you have to assume that it's all a legacy of the evil of slavery. Of course, slavery was evil, but our founders understood that. 
the principle of liberty that is based in the Declaration of Independence understood and underscored that important point. Here's the thing. What slavery could not do, what Jim Crow could not do, government agencies have been able to do with impunity. And it wasn't until the 1980s that we began to see a push in America, particularly with black America, away from this idea that every single problem that exists can be solved by government. It was a terrible idea in the 20s, 30s, and 40s that was mostly promoted in the academy that the best way to solve a problem is to hire a bureaucrat and let that bureaucrat be led a thousand miles away to control and dictate to individuals. That was an idea in the academy that has metastasized. And it wasn't until the 1980s when that idea went into effect in reality in the 60s and the 70s. It wasn't until the 1980s that the pushback began to occur. Well, here's what's left of that problem. A disproportionate number of Americans who happen to be black are reliant on government programs and services. And when you say to them that the solution for your life is to be set free from this, they are fearful of that consequence. You see, they didn't have my grandmother to say, you know what, I don't need a bank to give me a mortgage in order to get a house. I'm going to actually save my money and I'm going to pay cash. 1975, she had her third home in her life built completely from cash savings. Just just the idea of, of that today get up at 5 a.m., work hard, and, and buy your own home, not just one but three for cash. It's just utterly anathema. Uh, let, let me ask you, let, let me make it even more pointed. Horace, whether it's in Texas, amongst your friends, your family, or anywhere else around the nation, do you have a sense of why black America is, is leery of vaccination? mandates we, we've had we've had the senile old man in the White House talk about the the Tuskegee airmen uh, which had nothing to do with it I think he thinks that's the same as the Tuskegee Institute is, is it to do with fear of, of the white man or is it more complicated than that when uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris bragged to their donors that they were going to disavow all of the amazing achievements that Donald Trump did with vaccines. And they did so knowing that the group of Americans most sympathetic to them, excuse me, were black Americans. It is no surprise to me that people heard those messages, listened to those messages, 
and believed those messages. So when, when, so when Kamala uh, Harris actually says that if a vaccine is developed under Donald Trump's aegis, she's not going to take it, that's listened to and that's what we're paying the price for today, Horace? Absolutely. And let me just add, by the way, there are friends and uh, relatives of mine that believe that she still hasn't been vaccinated and believes that that is part of the reason for some of the strange behavior we witnessed where she uh, had to go to the Walter Reed Reed Hotel, uh, Walter Reed Hospital, when those Texans came to town uh, for their super spreader event. Now, the ones, the, not, ones who are, who, the ones who are running away from their responsibility in the Texas Senate, th- those Texans. Yes, I'm not the one saying that. I'm the one hearing this. My yeah. point is, you can't poison the well, and then when people go out and they, uh, you say, why aren't you putting your bucket in the well, uh, get surprised all of a sudden that they're not. By the way, obesity in America is a real issue. Yeah. We can't have a conversation about obesity. And in black America in particular, and type two diabetes, it is operating at epidemic levels. We can't have that conversation. That's called blaming the victims. That's called shaming. If you're going to change behavior, you've got to actually start being honest. We haven't been honest. And therefore, the consequence of that lack of honesty has been a devastating effect of COVID-19 within the black community. These are problems that progressives are creating that continue to create. I would love to hear the president of the United States stop talking so much about how whites are stymieing black Americans and beg black Americans, to go in and ask their doctors about diabetes, to go in and start meeting with nutritionists so that a significant portion of those most likely to die from exposure would be less likely to be in that category. That would be in stunning. I mean, that, that would be truly stunning and, and I think would have such an amazing impact potentially on, on the health of, of all Americans. We're talking to Horace Cooper, Senior Fellow at the National Center for Public Policy Research. Follow him and his colleagues at Project 21 News. Uh, Horace, when it comes to you know, systemic racism and the bigots, it's clear that there's one massive source of it, and it's those that are propagating this neo-Marxist uh, critical race theory in our schools across America, and the politicians and the school boards who are giving them uh, political top cover. Uh, I am buoyed immensely. Every, almost every day there's a new video of a parent, of a teacher, in many cases black fathers saying enough is enough. You're not going to teach my kid that they're a victim before they leave school. Where does this end? What is your expectation? Is this a, a sea change event to see such a truly organic grassroots resistance to this bigotry? Is, is it enough to try and redress the balance? What are, what are your uh, prognostications? Well, I'm on the hopeful side. I believe that America isn't over as an experiment and that the 
kinds of mindsets and attitudes that have made this such an amazing place are going to galvanize uh, the public, starting with local elections, but also start including federal elections. Here's one thing I'd like for folks to focus on. When Rosa Parks was arrested, too many people today talk about the uh, event as if it was wrong to do this because she was black. But it was wrong to do this because she was an American. Every single one of us are Americans. You, you, you mean the segregation? Her, her being arrested, yes, the segregation. Her being arrested for where she sat on the bus. Was wrong wasn't because of her skin color. It, it was, was wrong not. because she was an American. That is amazing. That is so deep and amazing. So say that, just do that one more time, because I, I think that's something that people need to hear and marinate on. Explain why the way she was treated wasn't a function of race, and that's not why it was wrong. We all need to remember that it's in America, this experiment, where all of us are equal before the law. Yeah. All of us have this right. And it's not the, the error, the evil, the wrong in the case with Rosa Parks wasn't saying we're pulling this black woman off the bus. How dare she? The error, the wrong, the evil was saying that we could do this to any American. Yeah. Every single one of us, all of us as Americans, deserve the right to be treated justly and appropriately. And it doesn't matter if it's 1950. It doesn't matter if it's 2021. It doesn't matter if you're a man. It doesn't matter if you're a woman. What we should come together as Americans and as Americans, it's wrong for us singly to be separated out and to be mistreated. That's the problem, and the solution is going to come when we remember that. And that will, I believe, begin more and more and more. It started a few years back when people stopped checking the box they were asked, what's your race? Yes. And they stopped checking that. I encourage more and more people, stop checking the box. I'm not the box. I'm the American. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. That's so powerful. And I'm going to start today. I'm not going to take that box, Hispanic, not Hispanic, white or black. We are all Americans. Uh, Horace, we're running out of time. It's so sad. We've got to do this again and again and again. You, you enlighten me. You help me look at things in a different way. Just that way of looking at Rosa Parks is is, is worth the, the discussion today and hopefully for our millions of listeners as well. Uh, last couple of questions. Um, Black Lives Matter. What should all Americans understand about Black Lives Matter? And where does it fit into America organically? Is it some big plot 
of the Democrat Party? Is it just another race hustle, ethno-business hustle from a new generation of, of Al Sharptons? Or, or, or is, it, is it truly something organic that is headless like an amoeba? Where does it fit in and what should all Americans, irrespective of their melanin le- levels, think of this thing? I consider uh, the movement behind BLM not a real estate investment vehicle to ensure that the founders can get uh, homes Another worth, house. Right. Uh, uh, multi, worth multiple millions, but instead the analog to the militant wing of the DNC. For the latter part of the 19th century, And for the early parts of the 20th century, the Ku Klux Klan operated to make sure that all Americans remembered the messaging, the importance of separation, the importance of we can get you wherever you are. We can stop that job. We can prevent that opportunity. Black Lives Matter is working with corporations, it is working with the media, it is working with the academy, it works with government. The sad thing about the BLM movement is it was is able to do out in the open what the Klan had to do secretly. Yeah. That danger is something that I hope that we start seeing a pushback. I want to start seeing, and I hope that we start seeing, companies have to apologize for being willing to associate with racial separatists like the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm hoping that media explains its advocacy for these groups and also that government, where it has been supportive, where it has been sympathetic, ultimately has to become accountable for it. Well, we have to try and make that happen. That would be a beautiful thing. Last question for you, uh, Horace Cooper. Um, I, I like to ask um, some practical advice from our guests at the end of our one-on-one discussions. What is it that people aren't doing enough of? What should people be concentrating on? You used, uh, you talked about how uh, Grandma Johnson uh, emphasized to you the importance to read and educate. I always tell people, put the bloody phone down and read a real book, preferably one that was written over 100 years ago, at least for an hour a day. What What is your... General advice to all Americans listening, something they could do or should do that they're not. Well, we have allowed the woke mindset to really infuse our culture. And I would really recommend something that my parents did when I was six, seven, eight, even as late as 13. We went on a road trip for summer vacation. Now, mostly we went on a road trip because we couldn't afford to fly places, but it didn't mean we couldn't go long distances. And so we went to the Redwood Forest in California. We went to the Grand Canyon in Arizona. We went to various amazing places that let us see and learn about real America, and we got to see other Americans while we were there. 
I would recommend that people go to South Dakota. There is so much that we can see and do with Americans. You look around and what you see while standing in front of an awesome monument is that there are other Americans that are there as well. Don't be stymied by what the woke culture is doing and saying. Get out. Drive around. Spend some time together and really see America. You can't help but marvel when you do that. Let me just that what a one. I mean, you're a real national treasure, Horace. For those who haven't seen the amazing um, documentary about Clarence Thomas, the most shocking thing of all is the last three minutes when you find out that a Supreme Court justice, a legend in America, spends his summers driving an RV around America from RV campsite to RV campsite. I think probably for the same reason that Horace's parents took uh, him and his uh, siblings across America. That's a great connection to end on. God bless you, Horace. Follow him and his colleagues at Project 21 News, senior fellow at the National Center for Public Policy Research. I'm Sebastian Corker. Keep your head on a swivel. Watch your six. Hold the line. Never give up. Never give in. And as ever... Stay frosty. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 